0: And so much more. So, if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan, I am the CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine. And I am your host coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia. Um, What's been happening in my world? A lot of projects, a lot of products we're working on. uh, Exciting times. Me and the guys have found a team, getting heaps of stuff done. Still making that transition from uh, founder to CEO. uh, Still trying to be, you know, learning what it takes to be a great leader. Taking it one day at a time. But, uh, you know, things are good. Uh, I will give you guys a heads up. We do have an epic project we're working on, which I'm really pumped about. It's going to be an amazing body of work. It's a founder coffee table book uh, with the past, you know, 50 plus back issues that we have rounding up that content. And putting it into a brilliantly designed coffee table book If you would like to know more about it You can go to FounderMag F-O-U-N-D-R-M-A-G dot com Forward slash book B-O-O-K And uh, you can sign up to be notified It's a project I'm really, really excited about And uh, I'd love for you guys to help bring it to life We're probably going to crowdfund it And uh, yeah, it's going to be a really, really fun project It's going to be an amazing body of work so um, that's what's happening in my world now. Let's talk about today's guest, Alex Bogowski. This guy's, you know, a bit of a living legend when it comes to, you know, a super successful, super, you know, well accomplished founder and entrepreneur, but also an advertising executive. Alex uh, used to run and uh, started one of the hottest and uh, most reputable uh, advertising firms in the world, and he ended up giving that up. Just to, I don't know, go on a soul-searching quest um, Or whatever you want to call it And uh, he's just a super smart guy Really, really gets marketing He's an investor in companies like Lyft um, Really, really smart guy and founder now And uh, he's doing some really, really cool stuff I feel really humbled and honored uh, to, to get his time to speak with him uh, This guy's a serious, serious superstar Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. He shares a ton of gold, as always. We only bring the gold on this podcast. Um, So yeah, guys, that's it from me. I hope you're enjoying these episodes. Now let's jump into the show. So the first question I ask everybody that uh, we interview is, uh, how did you get your job? Which job? I guess the job you're doing right now. How how did it all start?
1: The job I have now? I don't have a job now. That's the goal is to not have a job. It's taken me a long time. But uh the job I am now is I invest and I advise. So I don't know how I got that job. I uh I became unemployable after my last job, I guess. I couldn't imagine working for anybody. So yeah, that's it.
0: <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. So yeah, look, um, you know, you're a world famous, you know, designer, marketer, author, consumer advocate. Can you take us back to, you know, the, your early beginnings? Uh, you know, how did it all start out for you? How did you get into, you know, working in, in the advertising world? Can you take us back, just for the audience that are not familiar with your story?
1: My father was a graphic designer and my mom was an art director for um, some trade magazines. So my dad had a studio with about 25 people and um, he and his brother. Kind had a studio, a graphic design studio, and it was just sort of a family business. And I grew up with uh, graphics was a magazine that would always be around, and communication arts, like those were the sort of magazines that would be on the coffee table in the house. And, um, you know, all the friends were other graphic designers, and, you know, they'd play games, like, you know, they'd come up with fictitious companies, and, you know, who could come up with the best logo in two minutes. And everyone would sketch, and they'd like show their logos, and people would judge. So it was just, you know, it was just what we did. And so when you when it is the family business, I think when you're young, you know, you you kind of want to do anything but the family business. So <laughs> my first attempt at a career was uh, motocross, and I became a you know kind of semi not a very successful pro motocross racer. And um, along the way, you know, not really. Kind of skipping college, and my mom, probably concerned about my employability <laughs> if things go south, taught me to do what were mechanicals called mechanicals at the time, which was the, the production side of graphic design. Mm. And um, so she said, "Hey, if you know how to do this, at least you'll always have a job, right?" And that was really that was really it. I stopped at some point. I stopped um, racing because I wasn't good enough, and, and uh, yeah, fell back into the family business, essentially.
0: I see. And uh, how, did you, how did you end up working? And, and, and like, uh, tell us about the story around, you know, Crispin Porter and Bogowski and how all that came about.
1: I started um, working in an agent, a local agency mm. and then, for about two years, and then I left that and started working, you know, with my dad and, at his studio. And did that for a couple of years, and I went to a uh, I went to a conference, and at the conference the big theme. So this must have been this is like probably thirty years ago. The big theme of the conference was the death of print, right? Probably not quite, maybe twenty twenty seven years ago. It was all about the death of print, and and so you know I'm a print designer, and I'm like this is not good, you know. And <laughs> the thing that was going to replaced print with VHS um, cassettes. Everyone was going to watch magazines on VHS tapes instead of (laughs) flipping through them. And, and, and I mean, I don't know if I was the only person who believed it or if everybody believed it, but I thought, man, I got to get into an ad agency because they know how to do video and I got to learn to do video because print's going to be dead. So I knew this guy, Chuck Porter, that had an agency and, and I was doing, you know, a bunch of freelance through the studio with him and, you know, he started, he had offered me, at some point he offered me a job and I started, I didn't want it and then I started to reconsider it and then I started negotiating and eventually wound up back at, uh, what was called Kristen Porter at the time and, and Chuck Porter had just joined the agency um, and it was called Kristen before that. So Chuck had joined, it was now Kristen Porter and he convinced me to join, and I, I started as a, as Macado was senior art director.
0: I see, I see, I see. And uh, you know, how long did you work there? And and uh, and tell us what ended up happening in the end.
1: Well, it was, it was not a very good agency. You know, Chuck was talented; he was a creative director, a writer, and he had been freelance. And then he joined. So you know. There were, I was employee number sixteen, so it was a small agency, and probably maybe the third best agency in Miami, which you know at the time put it way way down, the, you know whatever the uh, whatever the national um, rankings would be. You know we were fairly terrible. It was terrible. It was a terrible little agency. So I was employee sixteen, and Chuck said, you know, we'd go out for beers, and he's like, well, my buddy Pat Fallon he's got this agency Fallon in in Minneapolis and they're just killing it. Right. And I didn't know much about advertising, but I, you know, flipped through the annuals and I started to learn about it and started, you know, to realize, wow, there's some people that are really good at this. And, uh, you know, Fallon was obviously a hero in those early days and the work that they were doing. So, you know, Chuck's like, how hard could it be? Essentially it his sell to me. And, uh, We just started grinding away, you know, little by little, um, doing more and more interesting work and kind of finding our our voice and, and you know, what we believed in. we, you know, grew from, you know, those 16 people. And I joined because I thought, you know, in retrospect, I think both Chuck and I would have been easier just to start an agency from scratch because there's so many things. If you're a bad agency, there's so many things you have to unlearn, like, so much institutional knowledge that you have to unlearn, and it took years and years. You know, we had policies at the beginning. You know, things like if you were going to order a desk accessory, you could only order the colored putty. You know, there was like shit like that. It <laughs> was built into the culture. But I thought what made it lazy was it had wall-to-wall carpeting, and they had you know copiers and, and printers and typewriters, and so like, to me the infrastructure was so impressive that i thought that that was just, you know the thing but anyway it would have been easier to start from scratch but so we you know we eventually you know started to carve out kind of a, a you know a good local reputation and then um eventually a national reputation
0: i see and and where did you guys end up like end up just for the audience to get some clarity because because you're like you're you're a world famous uh, you know brand ad you know design guy
1: yeah, well, that's what to it be. <laughs> we eventually, there was a big, there was a, there was, you know, I think at the time the thinking was, our original thinking was, we'll be, you know, we'll get famous locally, then we'll get famous regionally, and we'll become national. And we really had, we really got stuck at the regional space and weren't moving past kind of the local, you know, fame and reputation. And we made a decision at one point that we had to get national brands, even if they were much smaller than our local clients. And it was the best decision we ever made. We, you know, we started to, we put more, we would pitch a million dollar, uh, national, uh, campaign or national client over a five million dollar regional client. And that was a hard decision to make in terms of growth and, and bottom line. But what it did is the, you know, a small national client has the same issues as a large national client. You know, and so once we understood that kind of business, once we had created campaigns in that space, it was really easy to translate those stories to any size national climate. You know, it just unleashed our ability to grow. And we eventually, at the time I left, which was about six years ago, we we had over a thousand people and offices all over the world. So, Yeah, um, yeah, there was a lot of growth. It never felt, it never felt ridiculous, or or impossible to manage, or even like, you know, outside, overnight success, you know, it looks like that to some people sometimes, but, you know, it's true, there's always 10 years of work behind that. So, uh, yeah, at some point you lift your head up and you're like, holy cow, <laughs> I came a long <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah, wow. And, and, but I tell people, you know, yeah, you, you got to be careful because you can't tell when you're in it. You know, you don't realize how much progress you're making. And so often people get frustrated because it is, look, you know, you, you could, you know, win the Grand Prix at camp, You know, the next day, you're going to go into your office and look at the same dude across the office and try to think of something. It doesn't feel any better. <laughs> you know, it didn't make you any smarter. It doesn't make anything any easier. So ultimately, and this is, you can't tell people to do this, but in your own journey, you find the, or I found that I had to, I had to learn to love the process and forget all the goals because the goals didn't, you know, the goals as you achieved them, they didn't really change anything. You know what you were going to do in life and what you're going to spend time doing was you're going to sit across from somebody and you're going to, you know, think really hard. And if you hated that, then you hate your life. No matter how much you achieved. if you begin to love that process. Then you loved your life, and and that was a that was something that for me was a, that that I had to go through. There was a time where I didn't enjoy the thinking of the thing. That was just a way to get to some achievement that I thought I needed. You know, I thought I needed this award, or I thought I needed you know that recognition, um, or that you know this client, and then eventually. I realized I really just like sitting down with smart people and trying to figure stuff out, and that was my reward, and the rest didn't didn't matter at all. But I don't think you I don't think you necessarily start there, but, but for people who, I think it's important to to say because some people might be realizing like, wow, I thought everything would change after I got, you know, this lion, and it didn't. So now what? I um, mean, my thing is I've like, learned to love the process.
0: Hmm. So what ended up happening? Like um, you, you ended up leaving and then, you know, now you're, you know, what, why did you leave out of curiosity? You just fell out of love with the process?
1: No, well, a combination of things. Agencies, um, they sell to the holding companies, you know, mm. and uh, we, had, we had a really long, what they call an earnout, right? So there's the moment that you begin your, your, the process of selling, and then there's the earnout. So the way it typically works is a holding company buys a portion, maybe half, maybe 49%, whatever it is. And then there's a and there's a period of time where they work towards 80% so that they can so they can you know um, file and uh, since they're public companies they need to move towards 80% ownership. And that process. Usually, was like a five-year process. Ours was ten years. I think maybe over ten years. So it was a long process because we had, you know, we were on a good roll and we didn't want to stop doing what we were doing. And you know, I probably, I probably wouldn't have been anxious to sell. But Chuck Porter's, you know, he, he's he's about ten years older than I am, and, and he was in a different stage of his life, and needed to unlock some equity in the firm and stuff. And so, uh, you know, the sale happened, and then you know, over time that 10 years goes by and then you don't own it anymore. And to me, that was a very different feeling. And honestly, I'd always figured, you know, I I, I really enjoyed advertising, but I never figured I would do it my whole life. You know, in the back of my head is always just feeling like, yeah, I'll do other stuff later. And so, you know, when the sale was over, to me, it was just an opportunity to, you know, try some other things. And, um, Largely, which I'd always thought I would do. I've always been like that. Like I'll, I'll make these decisions, and I barely even know I make them, but they, but they're, they're kind of etched and stoned. And I knew I would leave when we were done with the with the selling. And then the other thing that had happened is with the growth, which was fantastic. And I really don't, you know, I never felt like growth and quality were at odds, mm. but near the you know, near the end, there's not many, there's not many accounts that are large enough to have an impact on your, on your P and L at that size. Mm. So you're talking about really big companies. And what I love about advertising is I love the kind of culture jamming. You know, being part of the changes in culture and the searching of culture, like what's next, what's hot, right? Mm. But when you've got larger clients. You're really your job is to support the status quo, and that and that was much less exciting than when we had smaller clients and our job was to upset the status quo. Mm. Um, so that to me, I was I felt much less alignment with what I was doing and the people I was not the people I needed to and the clients I was doing it with. It just wasn't quite as much fun. So, you know, opportunity to like switch gears and and, uh, have more fun.
0: Yeah, awesome, awesome. So you know, we're, you've done so many, you know, award-winning campaigns and and uh, Adweek, you know, magazine has, you know, you, you got named creative director of the decade. So I've got, I've got to ask you, and, and I'm sure our audience would love to hear, can you give us an, some sort of an insight around your creative process or or anything that can be tapped into that? Now, I know obviously it can't be replicated, but I think people might find that interesting.
1: I think most people probably have trouble describing their creative process. A lot of people, you know, like to like to kind of be inspired by things they read or that, you know, not, I was always inspired by things I read and, and I noticed that any book I was reading, I could tell how it would influence the work, but I didn't do it for inspiration. I never felt like I needed to load myself up with knowledge of pop culture. I thought that was fairly natural. I didn't you know, select what I was going to read. It might be fiction. It might be nonfiction. It might be marketing. It might be, you know, a graphic novel. It didn't matter. Um, my feeling is the right the, the right inspirations are just they they naturally find you. So you know, I never I never spent much time thinking about how to be inspired. When it when it came to the when it came to the work, I really gravitated towards great strategy, and it took. For me, we didn't have planning for years and years and years and, and I became a champion of like, you know, getting planning into the agency and it, it was hard and there were several, you know, missteps where we'd have a department, it would blow up, you know, we'd lose the plan, the head of planning, we'd find a new you know, it was it was difficult. But eventually we we, you know, teamed up with, with a series of, you know, great strategy people. Mm. As a career director that was that's where the ideas flow from. You know, I can't, I can work, but I don't enjoy working without a strategy. And, and actually I can't. If there's no, if there's no, I'll have to make up the strategy. Right. Mm. So for, for me, it all, it all, it all has to come from strategy and the strategy has to be in service of the business problem. People would always ask us, how do you sell such wacky work? And it was, it we never have, it was never hard to sell. You know, it was always easy because although it may have been, you know, it may have looked like it was challenging, it was designed to solve an actual business problem that the client really had. So often people, they're in advertising because they want to be filmmakers or writers, but they think advertising is going to be easier. And so they have little movies that they try to sell or they have little stories they want to sell, you know, and and they try to sell them over and over and keep trying to find a client who wants to buy that, you know, that little play. And, you know, we were never selling little plays. We were always being creative in service of commerce. So it was easy to sell because the clients could tell. And they could tell that if you didn't like this, we'd, you know, do another one. For for me, the the other part of my process was to not get emotionally involved with the work that i was making so if i made something and you killed it i could not care less i'd be a little sad to look but usually account people were more bummed out than we were mm. and part of that part of that was and we would tell would tell people it's like you have to have enough respect for your abilities that you know someone killing one of your campaigns is meaningless. If you get upset about that, you know, you're suggesting to yourself that you're not capable of coming up with another good idea. And, and it's like, I refuse to do that. I refuse to, you know, think that, wow, no, I can't come up with, of course we can come up with dozens of good ideas. Millions, right? There's, there's, there's no limit. So the... um it was less about how I, how I or we would think about any one thing, and more about how we would think about the whole approach and, and our, you know, and our willingness to to really be fearless and and in, in, in that engagement, right, and and embrace change wherever it came from. A lot of creatives get so hung up like the client changed something, mm. which to me was always strange. I'm not always strange. Eventually, strange. At first, it was at first I was you know I'd get upset too, but the longer I was in it, the more I thought. Now, if one of us at the table came up with an idea to change it, we might love it. So, why do we fear it when the change change in creativity is very similar? You know, it's, it's the cousins. Mm. And so, when it when a when a change opportunity came and it came internally, it, it was considered good news. When it was Came externally, it was considered bad news. Why is that? And is that right? So you know, eventually, we just became so so confident that like the change could come from anywhere and would make it positive, and didn't fear it. At first, I used to have this. I felt like the best work was the work that was changed the least. And then later, you know, we would win awards for work, and I was like that. Ah. Like I just would remember how many. Iterations and like that is not only is it unrecognizable from where we started, it's unrecognizable from the script that went into production. Mm. And and when you realize that 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 amount of change could still result in something, if you had the right process, could still result in something great, you you had to fundamentally fundamentally change the way you thought. It's something that that, that's hard. it's It's a hard. It's a hard way to be when you're young. But I think that there's a way for young creators to kind of open themselves up more quickly, you know, and gain and gain that that confidence um, faster if they've got some good mentorship.
0: Mm. When it comes to you know that change and constant change, and how do you know when when to ship? How do you know when it's right?
1: When you're out of time. I mean, we <laughs> we had a saying that you know the the works the works never done; it's only abandoned. You know. And um, so that would make clients crazy sometimes, and it would make account people crazy sometimes. But it's, I mean, nothing's ever really finished. I think most creative people would would agree with that, you know, whether you're making a movie or or writing. Like, you can always continue to adjust. But yeah, for us, it's really, I mean, in advertising, you're lucky in a way, because you don't even get to decide where that moment is. It just happens. (laughs) So, but. It, I don't remember ever being like you know finishing an edit three weeks ahead of the ship date or anything like that. You'll use that all the time.
0: Mm, I see. Well, look, let's shift gears and talk about you know fearless revolution and and all the cool stuff you're doing there uh, because you you've expanded your role from being um, I guess a brand advocate to to be a consumer and social advocate. Can you, can you tell us about that and, and the cool stuff you're doing there with that?
1: When I first, when I first stopped working um, at the agency, the mm. um, first guy to call me was Al Gore, and he said, and he said which I thought was crazy, that that was literally the first person to sort of congratulate me, and, and he said, listen, I want a portion of your time, you know, anywhere between a small piece and 100%, you know, to work on, on climate. And, uh, he also said, look, you're going to transition and that transition is going to take two years, whether you go surf every day or whether you (laughs) try to work through it, it's going to take two years before you sort of find your footing again. And he said, you know, so you probably shouldn't work, but you should work with me. So it was pretty funny. It was a funny conversation. He's a really funny guy. Mm. And, um, so we, um. We rebranded um, the Climate Alliance and uh, Climate Reality, and we we uh, we launched a uh, or a web program, a web moment, uh, a streaming web uh, broadcast mm. that um, called "24 Hours of Reality." At the time when we first did it, I think it was like the the most viewed. Web live live web streaming event of all time, and they've done it since then, and, and got even bigger numbers. They've done it every year since. But um, mm. wow. So I spent a bunch of time doing that, doing that, and it was fun, but it and it was hard, and it was a, it was really difficult for me coming out of an agency where, as a, as a creative director, you're thinking about lots of different problems for about fifteen minutes at a time, right? And then you go on the next thing and the next thing. And you kinda of loop around, right? But you know, you've got dozens of clients and you've got lots of projects. So your time's cut into these little bits and, and it's it's some sort of form of professional A D D. And it would be a, it would be a problem anywhere else, but in that role you're well compensated for not being able to focus very long. And then I and then I'm in this role and it's like every day I'm thinking about climate, climate. And um and it was hard for me, and it was not really a good fit. So after about two years, I'd them transition, find a new creative director, you know, build out the rest of the organization, and sort of, you know, m- that moved on. But I realized I need, to, I need to move from problem to problem. I just, my, I've spent too much time doing lots of different things, and I'm going to need to build that into, like, whatever it is I do. So a big part of a big part of that has been kind of my approach which is not to be an operator in, in things but to be an investor and a, an advisor in the things that I do so find great people who are who you know I know I love that I want to work with and and they will operate and I will provide hopefully a little bit of vision and and some investment and, and ongoing advice um, so that's how I've tried to Kind of use the same skill set, but use it in a different different way, and and that's shown up through um, through a lot of tech startup work that we do. And alongside the tech startup work, it's a long long answer to get to it. But alongside the tech tech startup work, I've also um, helped launch a few um, agencies, Fearless, which was kind of my my you know personal I don't know essentially a blog right mm. um, and where I would do work with nonprofits that's transitioned into uh, an actual agency at this point that is a partnership with uh, Danielier Scott and uh, Lindsay Freeman who ran insights for me at CPB and they're like the most fantastic straight you know strategy people I ever worked with. so I knew they wanted to do a thing and I'm like man, you are going to be successful. I would love to, you know, partner with that, and that's what that's what fearless has become. And the, and the you know, and the focus there is on uh, social causes. They both worked on climate reality with me. That you know, with with Al Gore, Donnie became probably I don't know one of really a great advisor to Al, and uh, and continue to work with climate reality at at fearless. Um, but they also have clients like Annie's. The uh, which, you know, makes mac and cheese and, the you know, little little uh, bunny bunny crackers and stuff, mm. the organic company. So there's kind of a spectrum of things that they'll work on over there. And then Made Movement, which is another agency, they they were launched a little bit before, a couple of years before Fidelis, and Made Movement's focus is American jobs. So that's an, another career director, you know, great friend, Dave Schiff, he and I used to meet in the morning and, like, hey, what's a good idea for an agency? And, and try to come up with a lot of smart things. And then one day, and fail, you know, try to come up with smart ideas and fail. Well, I'd come up with them, but no passion. Right? And one day he looks at me and he's like, you know what I would love to do one morning? I would love to just work on Made in America stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, babe, you should always do what you would love to do, because you'd be more successful doing what you would love to do. And he's like, but it's the dumbest business model ever. And I'm like, you know what? It's it's like sacrifices, right? and and so that's been fantastic, and they've grown like crazy, and uh, I think they're like eighty some people now. Mm. Um, and they do, you know, they do everything from sort of the Harley Davidson, which you'd expect, but then a lot of food, which you know. Is creates uh, creates create a ton of American jobs, so that's their focus. And it's an interesting social play because when things are consumed close to where they're made, it creates jobs. Yes, but it also has a smaller um, carbon footprint. So it's so it's a really interesting way to get at like that that conscious capitalism piece, but a little bit differently than the way that they look at it at, at Fearless. And then, and then, other than the agencies, I I I helped create a uh, tech accelerator here in town um, called Boomtown. And you know, we run. We're lucky that in Boulder we've got a tech accelerator called TechStars, which I think was one of maybe the first accelerator. And so we've got a you know big brother accelerator in town to look to, and and Mm. um, super fun. We've run about thirty plus companies through the accelerator at this point. We're on our second fund. And uh, and you know, busy right now. Actually, I'm here. I'm here right now, and we're, and we're uh, selecting companies for the next uh, next uh, cohort. Yeah. And I love. I'll just say, I love. I love. For me, everything I loved about advertising. So much of where our success was, the, the ads were what people saw and and noticed. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the creativity was in how do we change the culture of this comp- company to a culture, you know, of failure to a culture of success. Right? How do we show this company how incredible they are, how we see them, how their biggest fans see them and let them see themselves that way. Right? And and mm-hmm. that the success really was in those moments, that advertising, you know, that that juicing the company from within and that, you know, that that ability to 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 fire them up and make them ready to win again. That was a lot of the turnaround that we would do. That was behind a lot of it. And then the ads would be the, obviously, a huge part of it, but they would also be the most obvious and front-forward-facing piece of it. So that would get all the attention. But as an agency, as an organization, we were really good at helping your organization figure out what it should and what it shouldn't be doing. And when you get to work with these startups, yeah, they're, you know, they're, They're two people. They're four people teams sometimes. Yeah. It's really cool to do the exact same process. And that's what I, you know, I love that. And it's also fun to do it in in a space where there is a lot of disruption. You know, I do, I do enjoy that. Hey, what's next for culture? You know, let's upset the big guys and let's (laughs) let's change (laughs) things up. See if we can't do it better.
0: Yeah. Look, that's awesome. Um, Look, Alex, really, really appreciate your time. I could talk to you all day, man, but we have to work towards wrapping up. I have a couple more questions and that's just around, you know, now, you you know, you're your investor, your advisor, you've got this, you've got this seed accelerator, um, and, and, you know, you're focusing on internet, mobile software. I, I'm curious, you know, what are the, what are the things that you're seeing, uh, that I guess these early stage startups, uh, Aren't doing? Where Where are they struggling? What advice do 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 you see yourself constantly giving?
1: That's a good question. The, um, you know, it's not that consistent. But what one of the things that's nice is, so when I stopped working in advertising, one of the things I, I swear I felt my brain calcifying. Like it was a period where I just felt like I was getting like just dumber and dumber every day, and. Because you didn't have that challenge. I mean, in advertising, it's really fun how challenged you are by new ideas all the time. And so, you know, for me, I wanted to I wanted to get in the accelerated business because I, I just wanted to be exposed to the brilliant thinking that young entrepreneurs were bringing forward, right? Mm. And then realizing that there's so much stuff that I know that I don't even know I know that to me is kind of, obvious and a no-brainer, they don't see, right? So it could be, it can be around culture. It can be around team building. It could be around marketing. It can be around, you know, they, everyone wants me to work on branding. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I really, I try to, branding doesn't work until you've got everything else working. You know, you can't just put lipstick on a pig. So everyone thinks of me as like, oh, this will be my, you know, logo and copy guy. Not everyone, but whereas really, you know, where I'm gonna help is is in product. In the in the you know, in advertising we built a lot of products, usually for bigger clients, digital product. In uh-huh. the accelerator you're building, you know, digital products from scratch and you are a very small company with a very tough path towards customer acquisition, right? Yeah. And if I had if I launched something for Burger King and it was and if it was viral, terrific, if it was less viral, they didn't go out of business. At this stage, if you don't build your product in such a way that your product itself brings in one person and that one person converts to two people, then you're kind of dead. I think some early stage entrepreneurs get that, and others don't don't see it as dramatically and they also don't have it you know they certainly they can't have as much experience with product because you know i was just sort of tasked with doing it hundreds of times a year so that 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 product knowledge is uh and that in that wealth of seeing a lot of different things tried is probably where I, I i think i add the the most value and then the other the other is and this is a strange thing, but a lot of, I, you know, I financially I've done really well and i am been so lucky in that, but I've never owned more than 20% of anything, right? And so many early stage people get really hung up on what percentage they own mm-hmm. of the thing and they don't bring in the right partnerships and help that can take it to the next level because they're just too tight, right? They're just too worried about about their personal percentage, and um, and and, they, and it's basically they starve their idea because of it. And my advice is always like, hey, look, it's not, you know, having having you know 80, 90 percent of a thing that's not worth much. It's just not a good idea. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like don't don't choke this thing to death because you're so worried about you know what that percentage number is. It's you know it's all about creating value. So that's a you know that's that's a space where if you have a little bit of experience you can you can you can explain that to folks but I just you know you can i don't know but but you can imagine what it's like where it's just you know rooms full of brilliant twenty six year olds who have incredible technology but maybe don't know how to do some of the simple things like uh, open a bank account. So sometimes you can help with the most with, with the
0: most obvious stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, and uh, I'll be in touch. And uh, hope you have a great day, great weekend. I'll speak to you soon.
1: All right. thanks a lot.
0: Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business